I aim for respectful conversations that are fairly brief. Okay. And if at any point we we start like debating and arguing, then I've I've dropped the ball. Okay. My goal is not to debate or argue. Yeah. It's to get clarity. Gotcha. Remember we talked about like the, like a, the metaphoric U.S. football field, how we like progressed on the field and moved oh, back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In my view, the end zone of that is clarity. It's yeah. getting a full understanding of your reasons and how you're concluding that this stuff is true. It's true. People that are reading the Book of Mormon to disprove it are not going to find truth in it because they don't want it in the first place. A person has to want the truth in order to accept the truth that's in the book. Yeah. So I'd say if all you're if all you're doing is reading the Book of Mormon to bash them the LDS Church and and you know try to tell them they're wrong, then there's really no point because you're just gonna try to find fallacies in it, which I don't believe there are in it. We test these things every single day. The second we wake up, we say a Is it one of the tests that will never yield a result to show that you're wrong about it all? And we just say a personal spiritual witness. And I know that sounds kind of crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. If the desire of your heart is to know that these things are true and to know what you've read is true, then you get down on your knees and ask God. And so for me personally, it's about the mindset you have going mm. into it. I don't believe that somebody that doesn't already want to read the Book of Mormon or read what we believe um, is going to find is, is going to get anything out of it. I, I think I understand what you're saying. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 607, Street Epistemology with Mormon Missionaries, part two. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, uh, it was episode 606, uh, strangely enough, and it's Anthony Magnabosco, who is a street epistemologist based out of San Antonio, Texas. He talked to two Mormon missionaries, and then he bumped into them again a couple weeks later. Well, one of them had transferred out. So one of the missionaries is the same that you heard in the last episode. Another one is different. I liked this conversation quite a bit better than the first one. We are going to have Anthony on the podcast. We're going to do a live recording on Thursday, January 9th at 7 p.m. Arizona time. That's 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. If you'd like to join and interact with Anthony live, then come support us on Patreon if you aren't already. We're going to have details on Patreon on how to join that and be part of that live discussion. And now let's just get right to today's episode, shall we? Hey, my Mormon friends are here. Oh, there's a different guy. Yes. Let's see if I can get him to stop. Hey, fellas. How's it going? Hey, how you been? Good. Yourself? So good. Amazing weather. I know, seriously, these are so Are you okay if I record this? Just so you know? Sure. Okay. How are you? My name is Anthony. Good. I'm old. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Where's your other elder friend? He went to a different area. Oh, okay. Yep. Hmm. So this is my new. He got transferred? Yeah. Well, what I'm doing, I just, I'll explain to your friends. Okay, absolutely. I, I have this hobby where I ask people questions about how they're arriving at their conclusions, and I'll talk to pretty much anybody. I've talked to Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, LDS Church. Yeah. Uh, to use the appropriate term, Thank I you. think. Appreciate yep, it. I'm trying, I'm trying to get out of that. I love it. That's okay. And all sorts of other people too, even people that don't think that there's a God. We take their claim, it doesn't even have to be about God. As you know, we can talk about anything. It sometimes often comes to God, 
but yeah. we can talk about pretty much any topic, I suppose. Yeah. And I ask questions to challenge people about how they could be so sure that it's really true. Yeah. To the point where you'd be out walking around and, and trying to get people to come to your events. Yeah. Because you're so sure that you have it. Absolutely. You're convinced of it. Yeah. You're 100 percent or close to it. I don't yeah. remember exactly. 100 percent. There's no doubt in your mind that you've got it figured out. And the act of embarking on an exploration by asking questions of how we're arriving at our conclusions can be really useful. Useful to who? And useful for what? Useful. I mean, e even uh, bad beliefs are useful. Like the, the, the usefulness. All right, we'll, we'll talk about this. Because um, this gets to the heart of like, you know, Anthony, you, you just mentioned to these kids that they have this strong conviction that what they're doing is right to be able to go out uh, in the street and have these conversations with people and hold these events. And you've got the same, you've got the same conviction in what you're doing is useful and very useful. How'd you come to that belief? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so we'll we'll have a good conversation about that. I aim for respectful conversations that are fairly brief. Okay. And if at any point we we start like debating and arguing, then I've I've dropped the ball. Okay. My goal is not to debate or argue. Yeah. It's to get clarity. Naturally. Yeah. Remember we talked about like the, like a, the metaphoric U.S. football field how we like progressed on the field and move oh, back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In my view, the end zone of that is clarity. It's yeah. getting a full understanding of your reasons and how you're concluding that this stuff is true. Okay, I'm, I'm really glad you, you came back to this, Anthony. So the touchdown, the success, is clarity about the reasons why people believe what they believe. Is that it? Cl clarity for you, clarity for them. Is it mutual clarity? Or is it just clarity on your end? Um that you understand and that maybe they go away understanding a little bit better why they have the certainty that they have. Is that it? Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, let me just put this guy up. I'm gonna draw some crumbs on there. And then this guy here. I'm having an incredible day of interviews. It's, I absolutely love doing this. I can kind of see the appeal of, of what you're doing. They're talking to people about their deeply held beliefs. Oh yeah. What is the re I'm actually honestly curious. What is the reaction to what you're saying? Do you get a lot of people just like, they just wave you off and you don't even get a one-on-one -on -one, or do they just politely listen, nod their head? And what is a success to you? Let's start with that. Okay, so basically your pitch is this. I'll, that's what I'll call it as a pitch. We pitch our idea and our, our service to people. Mm -hmm. We give people a picture of Jesus Christ typically or pamphlet or just something that has information about our church on it. Yeah. And then explain who we are as missionaries. We say we teach lessons about Jesus Christ. It takes about 10 minutes. Afterwards, we leave you with a prayer for you, your family, your schooling. Do you do the lessons right there on the spot, or do you try to invite them to some of these after-school after things that you offer? So or? most of the time, we schedule a lesson later on in the week, but it's always on campus. We, we haven't really taught a lesson like with students uh -huh. anywhere else other than campus. So we meet them like okay. in between classes. Typically. Okay. So it's on their time. It's usually outdoors, though, I take it. Yeah, typically. Oh, I see. You say, like, we're going to meet down at the bottom of the stairs at 3 o'clock on a Thursday. Do you do yep. that type of thing? Yeah. Okay. We'll shoot them a text and say where you want to meet today, and they'll say, mm -hmm. uh, at the fountain next to the library or something like that. How long have you been at this spot? Mm, almost two months now. Huh. Okay. How's it working out for you? Like, how is, are you getting a lot of people showing up and listening to what you have to say and considering it and... 
maybe even adopting it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, turnover rate is obviously pretty high, especially among college kids. They'll say, yeah, I yeah. want to meet up. You shoot them a text, you want to meet uh, up. Oh, bro, I'm decent at happens. Yeah. But with those that do meet with us, the, the response is very positive. Hmm. We share what we consider to be a unique message because mm-hmm. it's one that a lot of people haven't heard of before. Mm-hmm. However, when we can take a second and break it down for people, especially who already have a Christian background, mm-hmm. one, a lot of things that we talk about in Christianity, they're pretty far-fetched, I'm going to be honest with you. Like someone part <laughs> that of you seat, talk about or those other Christianity people? Christianity itself. Oh, know, yeah. Stories from the Bible. Do you find that you have more difficulty talking to a Christian as opposed to somebody who doesn't think that there are any gods? Or is it equal? Or I'd say it's about equal. Um, hmm. Christianity is nice because we all have that base in Jesus Christ. Where, uh, but you know, we get—that's where we get hung up—is points of doctrine. Whereas yeah. someone that is not familiar with Christianity is usually fairly open to, you know, hey, what do you guys believe? What, what they want to compare what they believe to what we believe, and so I'd say it's about equal. Mm-hmm. I've often found that getting hung up on the points of doctrine can be, can interfere with our ability to understand the quality of the reasons that you're using to conclude that this is true and how you're verifying that those are good reasons. We talked about that a lot last time. Do you remember much about what we talked about the first time around? Yes and no. I know that it is a lot about, you know, who we are as missionaries and what our purpose is and why we think what we think is true. Yeah. I think we spent some time talking about how you verify your reasons for your concluding yep. that the stories in the book and and even the uh, the instructions that I think you said the book gives you for verifying what the book says. Yep. We talked a little bit about that, that there's some passage. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember the verse. No, okay. that was perfect. But there's some verse apparently in there that says, listen, you can actually go and test this to see yep. that this really is the word of God. Yep. And then I think we talked about some of the things that you and your friend both did to yeah. test it, yep. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Where do you want to go with this conversation? Wherever you want to take it. I want to challenge your methodology for verifying your reasons. All right, Anthony. <clears throat> so um, I was uh, I-, I was linked to, you know how on Facebook somebody can like put your name on it and then you're like part of their Facebook conversation. So uh, there were some listeners to the last episode that I put out that were discussing um, what you're doing and um, the the possibility of you coming out. Well, I mean, you're going to come out to, to Utah and do this at General Conference and how it would be helpful for you to have some background into Mormonism, Mormon belief, Mormon culture um, when you're coming in. So I think this question that you're asking right here, to be able to challenge the methodology of how uh, a Mormon, whether they're a missionary or not, really comes to an understanding of truth, it's it's about the feelings that are felt in the body. Um, really, really, you usually described as warm feelings, tingly feelings, and those those feelings. It, it's like you know when you're in a concert or you're watching a movie or a sports game or something that something really phenomenal happens and you just get this like wave of of awe that sweeps over your body that you can feel. Um, that uh, that is identified very very early on for for Mormons as the Holy Ghost the Spirit and and the Holy Ghost being the third member of the Godhood besides God the Father and Jesus Christ and the third one is the Holy Ghost and the role of the Holy Ghost is to confirm the truth the the truthfulness of all things and so in the scripture that you're talking about 
in the Book of Mormon. It's saying, pray to find out if it's true, and God will communicate to you by sending you this feeling of the Holy Ghost. It'll sweep over your entire body, and you'll feel it, and it'll be undeniable. So when I was a missionary in Japan, I had a, an, an investigator who was a very, very logical, very scientific-minded, very stubborn. We got into a lot of arguments. You know, from, from, from my perspective, he was challenging. And uh, we got to a point, like, he really wanted, he, he, he wanted to have, like, undeniable evidence he wanted to, so, so the, the, the founding story of the Mormon church is that Joseph Smith went into a grove to pray uh, to find out what church was true, and he received a visitation from God the Father and Jesus Christ standing side by side, telling him not to join any of the churches because none of them are true, but um, keep being good because eventually God will restore the true church through him. And so this this guy that we were teaching, his name was Cabo, and Cabo wanted something similar. Joseph Smith was 14 years old when this happened. Cabo was in his early 20s, and why not? Why couldn't he have God the Father and Jesus Christ appear to him uh, like Joseph Smith did? And he wasn't really willing to accept anything less than that as as evidence. And until I kind of like guilted him and shamed him, <laughs> basically, you know, because there's these scriptures I, I mentioned in this last episode that we did. There's scriptures that say, don't ask for signs, don't ask for tests, just accept what God gives you um, or you're going to be bad. <laughs> and so he was reading a scripture. Well, he decided that he was going to uh, fast. He was going to go without food and water until he got a confirmation one way or the other, whether he should be baptized into the Mormon church or not. And on day three of this fast, he was reading in the Book of Mormon, and there was a scripture that said, through small and simple means, great things come to pass. And that this is the way that the Lord works, through small and simple means. And he felt this, like, stirring inside of his heart. He felt this feeling that, what he was asking for in this grand uh, vision of God and Jesus like Joseph Smith had had was unreasonable and that he needed to pay more attention to the small and simple things that he was feeling, and that was his confirmation. And it changed his life right there. Um, that feeling that he felt and the way that he interpreted it. And, uh, you know, I'm like that was 1990... Yeah, I think it was 1991, actually. October of 1991 when that happened, when he was baptized. And he's still a member of the church in Japan, family of three. And, uh, you know, I stay in touch with him every once in a while. He he knows I'm not in the church anymore, but uh, he still appreciates what I brought to him because it's been very meaningful to him his entire life. Uh, anyway, so that's what you're, that's what you're asking about. When, when, how does a Mormon know that something is true? The ultimate litmus test is praying for confirmation from God, feeling this feeling, and interpreting it as confirmation from God. And um, so how, how you're going to convince a Mormon that that's not reliable evidence when they've been taught their entire life that that is it, man, that is how you experience God directly— and that everybody can experience God directly, and it's this through these feelings. I think that's a bit of a challenge, but obviously 
there's a lot of ex-Mormons out there who have gone, wait a minute, there may be another explanation for what this feeling is that I'm feeling, because I feel it for other things, and it does, and it isn't always associated with truth, or is it? What is truth? <laughs> and you go into this. So the feeling of the Holy Ghost, Anthony, that's the methodology right there. I want to challenge your methodology for verifying your reasons, which is really what we try to do in this approach. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah, of course. Okay. Like you, I mean, we're not here to, to argue with anybody. We love trading ideas and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, we would be totally open to you know, a, little, a little questioning or okay. things like that. And then we can make this a back and forth too. So yeah. if you want to ask me similar questions. Yeah, of course. So since um, your friend is new, maybe I can ask him some of the same questions that I may have asked you. Yeah, absolutely. Is that cool? And if you have to ask questions that are even maybe sound a little bit bashy, We'll be good with that too. Oh. Like, not contentious, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what you want to go into a little bit deep. I like these missionaries. I really do. I like what he just said. Um, he's, he's, he loves what he's doing. He loves the things that he's talking about. And he, and he likes, he likes you, Anthony. He likes interacting with you. This is cool. I, I like hearing the second uh, interaction with them. Oh, mm. well, number one, I don't think it would be effective if I did. And number okay. two, I really just wouldn't want to bash what you're believing. Okay. Okay. Well, I wouldn't want to bash you as a person. Okay. What you believe might actually be problematic and, and yeah. <laughs> in my view, mistaken. Yeah. So maybe I'd, maybe I would want to bash the belief, I okay. suppose, but I don't want to bash the person. Okay. I, th I make a distinction between who we are and the things that we think are true. Yeah, of course. And I want to figure out, I actually want to work with you both and anyone else that I talk to how they're verifying their reasons. And um, I'm, I'm curious, Anthony, I'm going to write this down as a question for us to talk about. Why is it that you think that people are separate from the things that they believe? Um, that their beliefs are not deeply, deeply intertwined with their own sense of personal identity? Um, because I've found it very challenging to find people who are able to have their belief about something challenged without also having their own sense of intelligence challenged. You know, when I, when I started talking with my dad about doubts that I had in the church, his, his first response to me was, what, do you think I'm an idiot? Do you, do you think that, that I would just believe something that isn't true? Are you challenging that about me? Are you challenging my intelligence? You think that, what makes you think that you're so smart? You know, so, um, and as, especially when you've got a belief system that is so ingrained in a person's psyche, as I think that Mormonism is, being a high-context folk group, so pervasive, um, I think it might be a little idealistic to think that you can have conversations and bash, challenge someone's uh, deeply held belief um, without also unintentionally challenging and bashing that person's sense of themselves. That's, oh, let's talk about that. So let me just, maybe I could just ask yeah, you if that's okay. Uh, stay. Okay. But what I'd like to understand is how you went about figuring out that that's true. Yeah, of course. What, what are your reasons for being, I assume that you think that it's true to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, for myself, I would say that 
I tested the opposite side of, of the life I live now, that um, I didn't live uh, according to how the church says God wants me to, and um, I experimented with things that were contrary to uh, what what we believe, and I, for myself personally, I found that I wasn't happy, that it wasn't fulfilling. Um, a lot of those things left me feeling empty, um, discouraged. They were not pleasing. Um, and I found that I was truly happy when I was practicing practicing this gospel. That I was around my family. I was around my friends. I was with people who wanted to believe, who had that hope of, of a better life and in a God. And so, yeah. uh, for me, it was really just about, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been to both sides of the, the road, if you will. And mm. um, Would it be fair to say that you are happier today and your life has more meaning because you decided to, for one reason or the other, or maybe other reasons, think that it's true? Absolutely. And when you didn't think that it was true, your life didn't have this meaning. You were less happy without. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I think there's more to it, though, Anthony. And it would be helpful in a situation like this to find out what are the, the things that this missionary is being vague about. It probably has to do with uh, looking at pornography, masturbation, uh, maybe drinking, um, you know, violating the word of wisdom. That was something that came up in your previous interview. And if you ask them for specifics, you know, would you mind giving me one or two specific examples of what was contrary to the teachings of the church? And what, what, was, what was it that made you feel uncomfortable? Because I, my guess is that, that a major reason that they felt unhappy and uncomfortable is because of the socialization, that the things that they were doing, like they, they had been taught their entire life that looking at pornography and masturbating was wrong. And so when they did it, they had a sense of guilt. And that sense of guilt just grew and grew and grew and grew until they had to confess it to someone, go, go to their bishop and say, hey, I've been doing this wrong thing. I feel really guilty about it. Can you help me feel better about it? And the bishop says, yeah, okay, here you're going to be on probation for three months or whatever kind of discipline the bishop gives to the missionary. And the missionary feels like they've gone, not the missionary, but the member at that point. Um, they feel like they've gone through this repentance process and they're able to forgive themselves. They're able to um, get right with their culture and, and the norms of this culture that they've been raised in to say, if you're drinking coffee, you're making Jesus unhappy. And, you know, so having those kinds of specific examples that then you could talk about and, um, you know, it, I, I still think it's kind of a challenge because you're asking for evidence and you used the word before useful. Um, is it useful to live according to the way that you've been taught is right? Whether the stories that the <laughs> that the values are packaged in are correct stories or not like these values in this this group of people that has said in order to uh, harmoniously coexist amongst us you've got to do x y and z you know there's there's a usefulness to to conformity and um so and there's also evidence 
And that evidence is what they're, what they're telling you here. My life, I was unhappy when I was living contrary to what my cultural group was telling me was right. And since I've experienced that unhappiness and they told me there'd be happiness on the other side of it, um, that's evidence for me that what they were saying was right. Okay, so what happens when you you look at things that you were living exactly the way that you said, but you still have things bad happen to you? You still have things where you're not happy because there's that area that you could explore with the people. Um, you know, does does the fact that you were living contrary to the standards of the church, felt bad, started living the standards of the church, felt good, does that mean that God exists? Or does it mean that there's something going on with the culture? Um, you know, like kind of making those connections there. But uh, we'll, we'll see where you go with the conversation. Maybe you go there. I don't know. That's, that's very accurate, yeah. So like a typical SE question that I might ask now is, do you think it's possible for somebody to get meaning and purpose and happiness from a conclusion that's not really true? Um, well, I think, it, I think we have to be careful with that. I think that my way is not the highway, obviously. That the way I found happiness is not how everybody's going to find happiness. And so I would say mm. that it is, it is possible, yes. Could somebody find happiness from thinking that a completely different God exists and they get meaning and purpose from it, and yet it's the completely different... Uh, we maybe use Vishnu or something in our conversation, I think, maybe. Some, in, some Hindu God that somebody gets tremendous meaning, purpose, satisfaction, and happiness from thinking that it's real? Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. I think that, you know, for me, the definition of happiness is freedom. It's that ability to choose what you want to do with your life. And so for me, I chose something opposite of what I'm doing now, and I didn't like it. And so now I'm choosing this lifestyle, and I'm choosing this this way of living. Mm -hmm. And that is what makes me happy, is is living how I do now. But that does not is obviously not the same for everybody. You know, some people will find happiness, mm. um, or at least what they think is happiness, in drugs or alcohol. Mm. Some other people's will find happiness in a different religion. Other people will find happiness in material things. Are you saying that your life is better because you think that it's true? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Okay. But I would say that um, while we believe this is true and that it brings me happiness, mm -hmm. um, one of the one of the beautiful things about what we believe about God's plan is that He gives everyone that freedom to choose, and mm -hmm. people are allowed to do with their lives what they will. Um, one of the, that's one of the beautiful things about our missionary work is that it's all it's all service based. It's all out of that mindset that we want to help you. If you don't want it. We're not here to bother you. We're here to try and help you. You did a wonderful gesture for me just recently. You, you bought me some water and, and a sandwich, and I'm grateful that for that. Yeah. Do you think that you wouldn't have even considered doing that if you hadn't decided that this God is real? Do people need to have your God in order to do good things? No, no. I believe hmm. that there, we believe that there's inherently good people in this world that, um, you know, that that, People are, there are good people in the world. It's not restricted to just religion or just our religion, that people mm -hmm. do good things every day. I think I agree with you. I think that if you weren't with the LDS Church and you just happened to be out here, maybe we'd chit chat. I would imagine that you would probably still offer me a sandwich. I'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, and I would probably do the same to you. In fact, I think last time I offered, well, I offered you water, but I didn't have it. Yeah. I think yeah, I, something along those lines. Okay, so if somebody can be good 
and find meaning and purpose and happiness with a completely different God or even without any God, why is that a good reason to think that you have it correct? Wait, Anthony, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't say that that was one of their reasons that they thought it was correct. He, his, his reason for thinking that it was correct was the lifestyle difference. Um, and, and then the other thing that he said was just because you asked him the question about um, people being good uh, if they believe in their God or not. Anyway, that, that, that seemed like an odd question to me. Um, and, and kind of like it's getting away from uh, exploring in more depth the methodology that he's already told you. But um, let, let's see. Let's see where it goes. I would say um, for me... One of the one of the largest sources of, of knowledge and truth is the scriptures. Now, mm -hmm. people have their differing ideas about about scripture and how true and how not true it is. But for me, um, I took that promise very literal that you talked about earlier. Um, in in the Book of Mormon, it, it states that if you have a desire to know if this is true, then pray and ask God. And I took that literally, and I and I tested it for myself. And mm. um, for me, the scriptures are truth, and the scriptures teach that we need to have faith in Jesus Christ. We need to repent, and we need to be baptized. And so, for me, that is truth. Uh, that's what brings me fulfillment and happiness. And mm. I want to share that happiness with others. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to accept that, but <laughs> for me, the scriptures is is what is is that truth there. The scripture has some sort of wording that encourages you to test it. Yeah. And it sounds like you did. Yeah. Did you honestly go out and test it and do some sort of thing? I think yeah. I even asked you a similar question. Yep. And I think that you said that you did. And you can jump here in any time too. Okay. Here's what I'm wondering about your test. And I think I may have asked you the same question. There might be some redundancy here. That's just fine. because he's new. Yep, I get it. Okay. Did you perform a test that could end in a failure? I don't believe so, no. Meaning, just to be clear, a test that when performed would lead you to conclude to your satisfaction that this isn't the word of God. Does it have a failure component to it? Or is it only a test that can confirm it? Yeah, see, here, here's what I think would have been more effective here, Anthony. If you would have asked him to describe his test. What, what was the test? What did you do? How did it work? Um... Because you're in the you're in the realm of hypothetical here. You're in the realm of the abstract. You don't really know what he's thinking of when he says test. He doesn't really know what you're thinking of when he says test. And I, the 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 thought that this test could ever prove that the Book of Mormon isn't true, I don't think is is anything that has ever really crossed their mind. Or what what would it look like? if someone prayed and asked if the book was true and they got an answer, no. What would that be like? What would that look like? And in fact, if I remember right, when you did the the SE with that Mormon couple, I think this kind of came up as part of it. I don't know. That was a long time ago. But but in this case, where you're standing with these guys, what what is the test? How, how was it? Uh, what, what was their pass criteria? And then ask, what would be the fail criteria where you know specifically what they're talking about, but I, I, I don't expect he's going to give a really um, substantial answer here, but uh, we'll see what he says. I believe that it's only a test that can confirm it, but to me, the 
the uh, the asterisk there, if you will, um, is do you do you want it or not? People that are people that read the Book of Mormon to disprove it are not going to find things that are true in it. They're hmm. If you're looking to disprove it, could you repeat it, that again, just to make sure I got it? Yeah, people people that are reading the Book of Mormon to disprove it are not going to find truth in it because they don't want it in the first place. A person has to want the truth in order to accept the truth that's in the book. Yeah. So I'd say if all hmm. you're if all you're doing is reading the Book of Mormon to bash them the LDS Church and mm -hmm. and you know, try to tell them they're wrong, then there's really no point because you're just going to try to find fallacies in it, which I don't believe there are any, but you're going to try mm. and do that and your heart's not going to be in the right place. So if you're going to try and read the entire book for things that are wrong and then you're going to kneel down on your knees and say, well, God, I know it isn't true. Can you just like, let me, let me know that? That, I don't believe that's how it works. You know, he just did an excellent, an excellent job of providing an example of confirmation bias. You know, he, he said, if somebody goes into the Book of Mormon and all they want to do is bash it, all they're going to do, all they're going to see are things that are bash-worthy. They're not going to see the things that are true. And I think if you paused with them and just restated that, so, so what I'm hearing you say is that somebody goes in with the expectation that it's not true, they're just going to see that it's not true. Yes. So if somebody has a bias going into it that it's not true, they're going to that's not true. Yes. Are, are you familiar with confirmation bias? Do you do you know what that term is? No. Okay. Confirmation bias is a blah 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 blah. Uh, do you see that happening right here? Yes. Do you think that it could happen the other way, where somebody who goes in with a bias that it is true, that they're only going to see that it's true? And that they would not see anything else. Boom! They're 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 kind of like, well, no, because it is true, and da, da, da. you know, like then there's still the fish that are in the water, and they're like, it's confirmation bias when it's somebody else, but not when it's me. Ooh, pebble in the shoe. Maybe I have confirmation bias. And these guys seem like they're pretty reasonable. Like they might they might even say, yeah, maybe maybe we are. Maybe we do have this confirmation bias, but. It's still, I've lived life on the other side of it. I like what it feels like to live inside of this culture. And uh, that's the choice that I make. And everybody can make their own choice. And, you know, that might be where he comes up with it. But at least recognizing, oh, yeah, I do have confirmation bias. I, I'm doing this. It's true because I went in wanting it to be true. That's, that's a touchdown. That's a touchdown pass for me, man. <laughs> All right, I'm going to back up a little bit what he was saying because I kind of cut him off halfway through. People that read the Book of Mormon to disprove it are not going to find things that are true in it. They're, hmm. If you're looking to disprove it... Could you repeat it, that again just to make sure I got it? Yeah, people, people that are reading the Book of Mormon to disprove it are not going to find truth in it because they don't want it in the first place. A person has to want the truth in order to accept the truth that's in the book. Yeah. So I'd say if all you're if all you're doing is reading the Book of Mormon to bash them the LDS Church and mm -hmm. and you know try to tell them they're wrong, then there's really no point because you're just going to try to find fallacies in it, which I don't believe there are any. But you're going to try mm -hmm. and do that, and your heart's not going to be in the right place. So if you're going to try and read the entire book for things that are wrong, and then you're going to kneel down on your knees and say, "Well, God, I know it isn't true. Can you just like let me let me know that?" 
that I don't believe that's how it works. In the in the scripture, it states that if the desire of your heart is to know that these things are true and to know what you've read is true, then you get down on your knees and ask God. And so for me personally, it's about the mindset you have going mm. into it. I don't believe that somebody that doesn't already want to read the Book of Mormon or read what we believe um, is going to find is is going to get anything out of it. I think I understand what you're saying. In order for somebody to conclude that your holy book is the truth, they would have to first make sure that they're not approaching it as, how can I go about and show that this is wrong? Exactly. I need to approach it as, it's, it's, it's an attitude. Yep. I have to approach it as that it is the truth, and then I need to figure out what I might stumble across that might show me that it's not. Yeah, basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, if you... Do you have to approach it from the perspective of it's truth, and then I'm going to start with that? I... Why would a person start no, with... No, I would, I would differ that. I would say that you need to have a hope that it's true. And the reason I say that is because we believe that in the Book of Mormon, it talks about Jesus Christ visited, visiting the people of the ancient Americas as a resurrected being. You have to start with the hope that it's true? You have to start with the hope that, that there's more the puzzle, I'm going to say. There's more to the, the puzzle. of Jesus Christ. That there has to be, like, truth in here. Let's say somebody says, I hope that this is the Word of God. Yeah. And then they embark on an exploration of a holy book, anyone, including yours. An honest exploration with an open attitude of willingness to accept it. Could somebody go through all that on any holy book and conclude that it's true when in reality it isn't? When in reality it isn't, that's, I mean, I think that's still the thing that it's, re it's, it's really hard to hypothetically imagine from a missionary's point of view that it might hypothetically not be true. Um, yeah, I don't know how well they do with these hypothetical, if it isn't true, but they think that it's true kind of questions. I would say that, that that promise is found in the Book of Mormon, so we take it very literally. Um, I would say that's a hard question the to prom answer. Yeah. That's the, a good question. The book makes a promise that it's the truth. Yes. Yeah. And then it gives you some instructions on how you can validate it. Yep. Yeah. But what, what I think I'm hearing here is that if you approach it with the attitude of, I'm skeptical, I don't really think that that's true, I'm going to figure out if it is, a person may not be as open to accepting it as the truth if they approach it from that attitude. Are you approaching your acceptance of what the book says from a place of bias? Are you approaching your acceptance of what the book says from a place of bias? That That's like the Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 for those who remember Charlie Brown cartoons. Wah, 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 wah. I, I just, I can't imagine that these missionaries even understand what that question means. But I, I think they need to be shown what the bias is. I mean, they understand it when the bias is it's not true, and you go into it with it's not true. But I, I don't think you've really kind of bridged the gap here for them to understand that they have their own bias, that all of us do. Every single one of us has a bias that, that influences the way that we interpret inf information. And uh, I just don't think that they really quite get that because, at least speaking for me, when I was really, really in believing Mormonism, I couldn't see it as a, as a bias. 
I, I, it just was the truth and this truth and then everything else that isn't. So I don't know. Let's, let's see how the missionaries do. So for me personally, I did a lot of research on, on world religions before I, I came out on my mission. It was just one of those things that I was fascinated by. I love about other cultures, other people. I think that like, first of all, that respect that you have to have for all people is, is what's going to allow you to really connect with people and trade ideas and, and share thoughts with them. Um, for me, I would say that I think that it's it's specific to the Book of Mormon. While I while I do respect other cultures um, and while I have learned about them, I would say that that I that idea. Um, you know, I haven't read another book of scripture that really states that idea of if you read this and then you do this, mm -hmm. then you it will be manifested to you that it's true. And so, you know, while I applaud other people and I, I certainly respect them and their beliefs for those other books of scripture that um, they believe to be holy, I would say that while this is specific to our uh, religion, that's the promise that it gives. Yeah, see, he didn't, he didn't understand the question, you know, that you, that you were asking him if his bias that the that the book is true is interpreting or influencing his interpretation that it's true. He went to, I've studied other religions and I respect them, you know? Um, so yeah, he, he didn't, he didn't quite, he didn't quite get this one. Um, incomplete pass, <laughs> incomplete pass on this one. The book promises that it's the truth. And earlier you were talking about points of doctrine. I jotted it down on my board. I'm not interested in, what other people think is the case. I'm not interested in their doctrine. I'm not so much interested in yours until we can see if somebody has good reasons and a reliable process for testing the claims. Yeah. Yep. So okay. I don't want to get too wrapped up on, yep. yes, of course, people can believe whatever they want. Mm -hmm. I want the three of us to focus on methodology. How okay. can we go about figuring out that what that book says is true really is true. You know, I, I think he gave you a really good answer early on about how he lived contrary to the standards of the church and it didn't make him happy. And then he came back, you know, like we've covered that. But there's more that you could explore there. But you seem to have pivoted away from that, searching for something else. And I'm not quite sure why, because he gave you something there um, that you could really sink your teeth into and explore. And, and that hasn't happened yet. I want to get into your method, your process, the steps that you used. Yeah. So okay. we, can, we can talk about your testing. However, yeah. if, if this is a test that can only confirm and there's no way to have a fail test, it makes me wonder about the quality of the test. I'm not saying that you, you can't describe what a fail test would look like, okay. but I do want to throw that out there as something to consider. Yeah. Yeah, and once again, I, I don't think they really understand what you mean by the failed test. I, I, I think that if, if you would have, you know, like asked them um, to walk you through what their test is, and maybe you're going to go this direction, but, uh, and, and so you pray, um, you, you read the scripture in Moroni, you pray, you get the feeling, you know that it's true, that's their test. Okay, so what if you didn't get the feeling, what would that tell you? Um, and, and see how they respond to that. What if you got a feeling that said 
no, it's not true. Um, what would that mean? And the, the, the thing is, they're so committed to it being true, they're not really going to be able to entertain any other ideas, but you may be able to get them to admit or to recognize themselves that, well, there actually is no fail way here. And you go, oh, so there's, there's real, so then what do you mean by test? Like what, what is the test? What is it testing then? If it, if it can't show you it, it either yes is or no isn't, if there's no, no isn't, then it's, is it really a test? What, what is it then? And ask them. Um, ask them to to put a label on it to to give an answer to it. But you know, you're you're kind of spoon feeding them these things that are fairly uh, common, I think, in your your SE approach. Um, just just kind of common sense stuff that for you is common sense, for them isn't common sense. Um, so I, I think developing that more, where they agree with you because they've come to this conclusion through your discussion that oh yeah, there isn't actually a way of of disconfirming it through this process. So, hmm, maybe, maybe a test. I don't know. But that, but I, I still, I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're going to say, well, then if somebody doesn't feel it, it's because they weren't living right or they misunderstood it because God is always going to say that this is true because it is. And, uh, you know, you'll, th- then you'll start chasing your tail with them. Let us ask you, do you believe in God? In what? Do you believe in God? I don't think that there are any gods. Okay. No. What, what uh, do you believe? I believe that people are very good at coming up with reasons to think that there is one. Okay. And when we explore, when I explore the reasons with them, they don't turn out to be very good reasons. Okay. Or they might be a really good reason, but I have no way of testing the reason. Oh my goodness, I can't really test to see if I should be accepting the Bhagavad Gita as a source of truth. The Bhagavad Gita might have a verse that says, this is how you test it. And I did the test, and I got a result back that tells me the book is true. However, what would a fail test look like? What test could I perform that would confirm to me that this isn't the Word of God? Do you have the ability to disconfirm your claim? I think, okay, maybe this is the wrong answer to give you, but my answer would be that why not try? Because if, if you if you test it, mm-hmm. nothing happens. Yeah. Well, then you at least know that the book isn't true for you personally. But then your life is the exact same. So what's the harm in testing it? There's no harm in testing at all. I, I'm willing to test your holy book okay. to see if it's true. Here's my dilemma. Yes. If we looked at your tests okay. and your outcomes and figured out that we could never conceive of something that would show that your test failed. Okay. Ah, except he just gave it to you, though, Anthony. When he said, if you tested it and you prayed, but you didn't get an answer, that right there is the test failing, then it isn't true for you. (laughs) And that's where it's like, oh, so it can be not true for some people, but true for others? What does that mean? What does that mean, elder, elder? Um, If it's not true for me, does that mean that the Lord wants me to not be a Mormon? Is that what that means? What does it mean that it's not true for me, but it is true for other people? Um, but so he gave you the disconfirming evidence that you pray and you don't get that confirming thing. I, I think um, you just didn't recognize it. 
but it was there. If, if you if you test it, mm -hmm. and nothing happens. Yeah. Well, then you at least know that the book isn't true for you personally. But then your life is the exact same. So what's the harm in testing? There's no harm in testing at all. I, I'm willing to test your holy book. Okay. To see if it's true. Here's my dilemma. Yes. If we looked at your tests okay. and your outcomes and figured out that we could never conceive of something that would show that your test failed, okay. why would I want to perform a test that could never demonstrate that what I'm testing okay. is factually real and true? What's the point of a test if it only yields results that seem to confirm the case? I could probably think of an example of, or just a real world example. You asked me what kind of food I want. Like, what, did I want a six, six inch or a, or a foot yeah. long? I said a six inch. Okay. That's a testable proposition. I can wait and see what you bring back and then I can compare it. You know, I can actually inspect it. I can look at it. But if you just handed me a bag and it was a nondescript bag that I can never inspect, it wouldn't make sense for me to believe that there's, with 100% certainty at least, that there's a six inch sub in there. Do you understand what I mean? Can I take it a different way? Oh, please. I'm going to try this real quick. So let's, let's just take the thought process that none of the things that we teach are true. Okay. okay. Start with the assumption that... That our doctrine isn't true. Gotcha. Let's, gotcha. Just, let's just go there. Okay. Let's say that someone came up with a way to prove that the Book of Mormon is wrong, mm -hmm. that Jesus Christ was just a normal man that God doesn't know. Sorry, just a little noise in the background. Okay, so. Yeah, no problem. So now all you have is the things that we live by. The principles, the things that... Or we as humans or in church. That is oh, I see. The things that we do in our church. Okay, I think I follow you. Can we take this, take this route for a second? Please. Okay. I'm with you. So let's just take the approach of, you ever read like personal development books or self-help, anything like that? Yeah. Are you involved with those books? Uh, no, but I'm familiar with them. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love them. Mm. And all they talk about is universal principles and truths that a lot of people can be successful with. The beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our church is that we live by all of those values. Gotcha. We live by the values of don't drink alcohol. I mean, some people say just don't drink excessive alcohol. We just say we don't know what excessive is for each individual person, so we're not even gonna try to measure that, and we just don't drink alcohol. Yeah. And so I'm gonna say that if you don't drink alcohol, you're probably gonna be a little bit healthier. Mm. Is that correct? Could you say that? I think I follow what you're saying. Can I get, can I cut to the chase and yeah. tell me if this isn't where you're going? Yeah. But I think what you're explaining here is that somebody could adopt an outlook on the world okay. that improves their lives, that gives them meaning and purpose and happiness and a healthier lifestyle, mm -hmm. and the book not be true. Is that where is that where you were going with that? No. Interesting, though. No. Yeah, here, here's where you lost him, Anthony, was that bold declaration that the book is not true. Because he was he was willing to like assume that maybe it's not true. So like if you would have said that um, they're able to, to live a better lifestyle, whether the book is true or not, it's really about the lifestyle. And if you threw in, by their fruits you shall know them, you would really have him on the hook because that's what he's doing. He's doing a by the fruits you shall know them thing. He's, he's saying if, if you lay aside, you know, assume that the doctrines that we're teaching are incorrect, but just look at the lifestyle, um, you're going to see that it's a healthy lifestyle, and so it's it's good. So there's the evidence right there. It's it's another variation of what it was either this this guy or his companion said earlier about 
living life contrary to the standards of, of the church. It's the exact same thing. So they're going to say, look, the proof is in the pudding. The way that we live our lives is happy. It's exactly what you just said. But because, <laughs> because you were so bold about that it's not true, that got his hackles up. He's like, oh, no, no, I would never say anything that is not true. So I think that's what happened there. And the book not be true. Is that where is that where you were going with that? No. Interesting, though. But very close. The thing I was getting at was, you're asking the question, why would anybody do it? Why would anybody test this if, it, if it's if it, there's no fail to it? Is that kind of what you're saying? Why would anyone embark on a test that they can never determine what a failed result would look like? Okay, so I guess my answer to that question is, you couldn't really fail if you try testing the book and live by the principles of the church. Okay, because the, okay. Let, me, let me just do okay. this. Let me say that I take your book okay. and it actually changes the way that I interact with reality and my family and my friends and, okay. and it profoundly shapes my worldview. Yes. And I can actually look back in 10 years and say, I'm a better person now because I adopted the principles that are in that book. Okay. The points of doctrine, maybe. Okay. Does it mean, does my profound improvement in uh, my outlook on life and the way that I inter interact with reality, does that have any relationship with the truth of the propositions within? Could we have a book that teaches how to have, teaches how to have a good life and be better, but it be based on something that's not real? Sure, of course. Okay. So if that's the case, yeah. how can we actually tell that that this book is the truth? Yeah, I, I got, I've got some issues with the way that you framed that question, Anthony. I'm, part of it is because it's so vague. Um, you said something, if, if the book has this great outcome, but it's based on something that's not real. That's really vague. Because I can guarantee you every single textbook every single science book, every single science paper, everything that you've read, there are things, there, there could be something in there that isn't right, that isn't real, that isn't true. It's as true as we're able to know it at this point, and then we'll get more data later and we'll correct it. But at this point, it's not complete. It's not, you know, like, and what is this something? Like, what, what is the something? And if, and it is, is this like the, the princess that can't sleep in the bed of uh, mattresses because there's a little bit of, there's a pee in there. And that imperfection just makes it, well, I can't, I can't abide the entire bed. Like what is the something that's not real? And why, why is that more important? Why is the truthfulness or the reality, whatever that means, why is that more important than the outcome of the life that people are living because they're, um, that because they're uh, engaging with this work of fiction, even if they don't see it as a work of fiction, or even if they see it as eh, maybe a partial work of fiction, but not a complete work of fiction. I, I just, I, I still don't get why this is really important. Now, if, if you go, well, because people can be deceived and, well, okay, but then you change the entire premise because then it's not people that are living a better life, it's people that are living a worse life. And that's a different question altogether. But if you're saying these people are living a good life, healthier life, healthy life, and it's based on 
a story that isn't true or stories that have elements that aren't true, why do you even need, why is it even important to demonstrate the truthfulness of this if you can already see that it's effective in the way that it impacts people's lives? That's, that's where I still quite don't get the SE um, motivation. Uh, so something, something more to talk about when we talk on Thursday night. You're asking for proof, like physical evidence. That's what I would want. Okay. That's what I would want. Do you want evidence? Is evidence important for you? Simple answer, we can't give it to you. There's no such thing. Good Mormon, I, I could never You can't that. give me evidence. Did you use evidence to arrive at your conclusions that this is true? I mean, yes, and sure. I mean, just like small pieces, like you believe that Joseph Smith, who translated the Book of Mormon, lived in upstate New York. Like, yeah, that's probably true. And if you look in the records, he was living there. Yeah, so in upstate New York, yes. Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at here is, are the tests that you're performing, or that you performed in the past, I don't know if you still occasionally do them. Might be interesting if you did. Yeah. But are the tests that you're conducting to confirm that the Holy Book is indeed the Word of God, is the truth, is that evidence? Is your ability to test it and the results that you see the evidence? Or do you not even need that? Would you still believe this if there wasn't a clause about how you can go about and test it? If I read the book and there wasn't a clause that said I could read it and find out it was true, if yeah. I read the book and it brought peace and happiness to my life, and I felt inner peace myself, like a confirming of this has to be true because it makes me feel happy, it makes mm -hmm. me feel successful, mm -hmm. and I'm living by principles that allow me to feel this way, mm -hmm. that are just good values, and I'm a happier person, and I'm nicer to people, and good things are happening to me in my life, regardless of what it says at the end of the book, of course. A profoundly changed lifestyle is enough for you to accept it, or do you care if it's true at the heart of it? Is it more about how it impacts you, or is it more about being impacted by something that's not factually real and true? Yeah, I, I feel like this is getting into the uh, uh, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson podcast from hell a couple of years ago where they, they, they couldn't agree on a definition of truth in like two and a half hours. And Jordan Peterson's position was, um, if I think he talks about like true enough, but he's, he's looking more like this missionary is. If it, if it is having a profound impact on life and on well-being, then that's something that is true. It, it has a true impact on life, even if, as uh, <laughs> then Sam Harris would come back and go, but, the, but it's not based on facts, it's based on fiction, it's not real. So how can you call it true if it's not real? And Peterson's like, well, but it, the effects in people's lives are real. How is that not real? It's not the same thing. It's okay. It's not the same thing, but it's not not true. It's not not real. It's just a different kind of truth. And so, like, why is that standard of truth that I think these missionaries have been very? I, I like this conversation better than the the first one. I think they're doing a better job of answering the questions, but I don't think the questions are really in the wheelhouse of of what is an acceptable. Um, standard for truth uh, for SE, because 
and I still don't like, do you want them to go, well, I guess there is no God, or I guess it's not true, or, you know, so they, they, you, you said earlier at the beginning of this, that the, the end, the end zone is a, a clear understanding, it's clarity as to why they believe that it's true. It seems to me that they're very clear at this point as to why they believe that it's true because of the impact that it has on their lives, and especially where they're able to compare what their life was like with it compared to what it was without it. And so this is the question that you're asking again right here, but kind of with uh, incredulity. You're like, oh, it, it has this impact on their life, even though this the thing, the object, the artifact might not be true, the stories might not be true, that's still okay for you? And they're saying, yeah, it is. It is. And if it's not okay for you, we can't give that to you. We can't, we can't make it okay for you. So I think they've got the clarity. I think they do. But I, I, I still feel like from the SE perspective, it's not enough because it hasn't done something. And I'm trying to figure out what that something is. Did I confuse you with that question? I think you just broke me. Yeah. Can you, can you say that yeah, one can more you say time? It again? Yeah. Sorry. There seems to be no question that you're getting value from thinking that this is true. Okay. And it's profoundly changing your life. Yeah. yeah. Is the benefit that you're getting from thinking that it's true more important than being able to tell if it really is factually true? And, and, and how is that question not begging the question that there's a difference between these truths? You know, that the, the truthfulness that it's impacting their lives in the way that they want it to isn't good enough if the the book of mormon itself is a 19th century fabrication in fiction as opposed to what they think that it is you know like what why anyway <laughs> we'll talk about this <laughs> that's a hard one i would say that um well, i think i'd agree i think that i would certainly hope it was true um after all i've been through and all i've experienced but like Elder said, if it improves the overall quality of my life, then why would it matter, I guess? You know, I think it matters personally to me very much because I enjoy the scriptures. I enjoy the knowledge of not only my religion, but other religions. I enjoy learning and, and growing that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would certainly hope it was true. But if, if all I got out of it was an improved quality of life, then good for me, I'd say overall (laughs) yeah i think we were just talking about earlier how somebody could not even somebody could still be a good person to find happiness and meaning and purpose without thinking that it's true or a completely different god is real if people could still achieve happiness meaning and purpose and all those other stuff all those other things without having to think that they have the truth with this book why do you need the book why can't you do this without the book why can't you be just as healthy, happy, and loving, and caring, and generous, and peaceful without this book? Simple answer is you can. Yeah. And there's nothing that says you can't. If you can, why on earth would you be bringing so, the book into it? Something that maybe we okay. can't actually test so, to see if it's true. Now you're getting into Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus Christ is the question that you are now asking us. That, that is how I take this, because that's, the, that's mm. exactly the route that I would take. Does somebody need to have Jesus Christ in their life to achieve all the benefits that you're currently getting? Yes. 
it's impossible to have happiness, meaning, and purpose without Jesus being in your life. That's what I think I hear you saying. The fullness of the blessings and happiness in your life. You can still be a very happy person, very peaceful, and have content with your life, for sure. Mm. But to receive full direction in your life, to receive the fullness of happiness and direction Mm -hmm. that people want in their lives, can't be done without Jesus Christ. Can't be done without Jesus? That took a really interesting turn. I, I, I'm, I'm just going by the voices because I'm not watching this as I'm listening to it. I'm just listening to it. I, th- I, think, I think this missionary is the one that you talked to last time, um, and, and he's the one that's a little bit more attached to uh, Jesus and the Book of Mormon being true, whereas the other missionary, the new one, he's the one that studied the world religions and talked about respecting other people. He seems like he's much more easygoing and like he's the one that said yeah you don't really need the book to be true in order to this you don't need you don't need this book to have happiness and then the other one went whoa whoa wait a minute no you do because you can't have this without jesus and and the the (laughs) the the uh, cognitive distortions start coming in and going like well wait a minute i guess we said that everybody's okay even if they don't have it but that doesn't mean that this is okay to not have (laughs) you know so they're still playing around with that that uh, uh, dissonance there, which is fun to listen to. Could you entertain a hypothetical with me? Yeah. Let's pretend, I think you even suggested it earlier, let's pretend that the book isn't a source of truth. Okay. It's, it's, just, it's just wrong. It's not, it's not real. Okay. Oh, you know how much I hate that question, Anthony? Because you say the book is being a source of truth, but it's wrong, it's not real. Oh, there's just so many things that I have issues with in, in the way that you said that. What about Aesop's fables, man? What about a book of Aesop's fables? I'm okay, yeah. Well, Aesop's fables doesn't claim that there was really a fox who looked at grapes on a tree and said, oh, they're probably sour anyway because I couldn't get to them. But like how many, like you're talking about a source of truth. Like there could be lots of things that are sources of truth, whether they are themselves true or not. Anyway, I'm splitting hairs. I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop. I, I'm probably, I'm not going to stop. It sounds like you think that you can still be good people without those views. I think that's what we agreed on, right? Yeah. Okay. How could we actually tell the difference? How would you be any different if you didn't think that Jesus was the necessary component to all of this? You know, there's something that used to drive me absolutely nuts. Um, because I, I, I spent my mission, my two years as a missionary in Japan from 91 to 93. Then I also lived in in Tokyo from 2007 to 2010 for business. I was over there for three and a half years. And every once in a while I would come back to to the U.S. and I'd go to to a a Mormon church um, in the town where I lived. And I was there one time and people were talking about how grateful they are to have the Book of Mormon and to be Mormon and because of all of the, the standards that it provides in their life, that it makes them so much better than if they didn't have it. And, um, you know, like, as a little aside, at, at one point, you remember when there was that uh, tsunami in Thailand uh, back in the, the mid-2000s? It was really, really big, big, big tidal wave, um, killed a lot of people. And one of the people in this class, one of the Mormons, was saying, well, you know, they, they weren't Christians, so God could have been punishing them for 
You know, they, they, and I just look at stuff like that. Like, it's just so ignorant. It drives me insane. So along those lines, they were saying, uh, you know, I just don't know where I would be without the Book of Mormon in my life. I just don't know where I would be without Jesus Christ. And I said, look, you guys, come on. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm living in Tokyo right now. Not only do they not have the Book of Mormon, they're not even a Christian nation. And I promise you, they are collectively more honest, more respectful of each other than anybody living here in the U.S., or, or collectively. Because you can walk down the street in Tokyo, and I had this experience with my daughters, where my, one of my daughters, she dropped her iPod as she was on her way to school. Um, ten minutes later, she realized that she had dropped it, so she backtracked. You know, it, it was out of her possession in this massive city. Tokyo is a massive city for 20 minutes. Where, where, where would that be now? I mean, you, you think somebody would see that and pick that up and go, oh, cool, free iPod. But they didn't. They picked it up and they put it on a little fence. And so it was waiting there for her when she got back. This is very typical. It happened with my ex-wife, with, with her purse, her wallet that had money in it. And somebody just put it aside because they, they're not going to steal it. That's, that goes against their value system, even without Jesus. So, like, when, when people are saying, I don't know where I would be without this, I don't know, like, Jesus is the most important, there's, there are these examples that are just so far outside of their own experience or awareness. It sounds like this one missionary who studied world religions is a little bit more aware of the goodness that exists even outside of the traditions of Christianity. But it's just my myopia. And I know that's, that's part of what uh, SE's mission is, to open people's eyes and to stop them being so attached to such stupid ideas. But the reason that they're attached to such stupid ideas is because of what, what it does for them individually with their identity, socially with their social identity. And it's really strong, powerful stuff that is true even if the claims that they're making are not true, the, the, the real impact in their lives is more true <laughs> than, than these other things, but it's still true anyway. Let's say it's 10 years from now, you know, and you've really exhausted your, your, your search and you've conducted multiple tests, or maybe you've, you've even taken a look at your tests and you're starting to think, this is some test. It only okay. tells me when it's right. It never tells me when it's wrong. Okay. And you start to, Take another look at your views. How would your lives be any different if you didn't have the book? It sounds like you think that people can still achieve all those things without it. Okay. Why do you need it? Can I give it a shot? Me? Can I give it a shot? Oh, okay. yeah, you go. I'm going to grab some water, too, while, yeah, yeah, please while you think about that one. Okay. Man, i got to be careful. I'm not very good at speaking sometimes. Were you the, were, was it you or your buddy who, at the very start, was saying, I'm a little bit worried I might say something that I might regret later, or I didn't oh, that word... That was definitely me. Was that you? Oh, yeah. But do you remember what I said? No, I, I said something like, however, even if that happened, wouldn't there be some value in that? Because oh, yeah. now we could realize that maybe there's a better way of expressing it. Okay. Or yeah. maybe a better reason, or perhaps a better test. Yeah. So I, I would like to encourage you to not be too worried about saying something. Okay that you may later regret, because we're still going to advance the conversation if you do. Okay. I, that's the way, I, that's the way that I look no, at that, it. That's a great way of looking at it. Okay, mm -hmm. let me give this a shot now. Mm -hmm. Okay, we believe in prophets. You understand what a prophet is? Like uh, someone who predicts something? Basically the mouthpiece for God. For mm. 
mm -hmm. and they receive revelation from God, and then they give it to the world. Things that they need to do. For example, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? I have, and what I'm, what I'm sensing here is that we're going to be starting to talk about what you think is true. Okay. When I'm interested in reasons, yep, yep. is this a reason? This is a reason. Gotcha. Go okay. for it. Yep. So, we believe that prophets narrow down the things that we need to do in order to find happiness and success and peace in this life. We believe that like, by living the commandments, that's where we find happiness and peace. Can someone have an equally meaningful, purposeful, and happy life without being a Mormon? Yeah. Without being of the LDS church? Mm. All right, Anthony, let me let me give you um, another way of asking that question in the future when you're talking with Mormons, because you are you are limiting the testing criteria to this life. And you're asking, can can somebody live a really happy, worthwhile life without being a Mormon? Yes. But. Here's where you need to understand a little bit about uh, the cosmology, Mormon cosmology in the afterlife. Because if you ask them the question, would someone be able to go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom and live forever with, with God in the presence of God in the celestial kingdom without being a Mormon? There's no question they're going to say no. No, you have to be a Mormon. That's what baptism is all about. You get baptized so that you can go into the highest degree of heaven. And there's different degrees of heaven, and you don't have to memorize them all. There's only three, and then there's outer darkness. There's the telestial. L means lower. You can remember it that way, telestial. Terrestrial, which is in the middle. And then the celestial, which is above. It's the best. Celestial means sky. Anyway, and then there's different degrees within the celestial kingdom. So if you're asking, can somebody in this life live a good life without being a Mormon? Yes. Can they live the best possible life? Maybe. Can they live the best possible afterlife? No. No, they can't. They need, they need the Mormon priesthood to uh, give them, well, what do they call it? Like necessary... Ordinances necessary for salvation, something like that. So this is a whole idea of ordinances that put you in a place. Maybe you could also ask, would I, would I be able to live with my family for all eternity? Because that's part of what happens in the celestial kingdom is that you're sealed together with your family members. And so the missionaries will say, yeah, if, if you join the Mormon church, you'll be able to be with your family forever. You know, so... Would people who don't join the Mormon church be able to be with their family forever? They would tell you no. Or they might say, well, we don't know what will eventually happen because it's always up to God and, you know, maybe. So we'll leave that up to God. But really, really what they're selling is um, these, these ordinances that are necessary for salvation and this idea of the prophet that they're talking about, you know, someone who is authorized to speak for and on behalf of God, and and this priesthood lineage where you're able to perform ordinances for and on behalf of God. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a big, big part of Mormon worldview and cosmology. I would say it's, it's 
that's hard. Like all of humanity, it's I wouldn't. I don't know. For each individual person, it's different. Um, it depends. I'm, I'm, on I'm interested in what you guys think. Yeah. You're here. You're you're passing out Bibles. You're inviting people to to accept the truth that you're offering. Yeah. And if your lives wouldn't be in any way different without this view, why on earth should anyone honestly consider it? Especially if we can't possibly test it to see if it's factually true or not. It would be different now. How would your life be any different if 10 years from now you were not a Mormon? If I was living the lifestyle I was living beforehand? Before? Like... Are you saying living the same myself. principles we are now without the book, or yeah. living the previous lives we lived? Not your previous lives, although we can revisit that. Okay. Do you do you think that you would go back to your previous lives where it wasn't quite as meaningful and purposeful and happy, if you discovered that you have no good reason for thinking that this book is true? No. Not after. No. Not after I felt the peace and I found direction from reading the book, and just became mm. a doctor. Okay. I, was, I wasn't very happy before. Yeah. I started living what we call gospel principles, gospel doctrine. Mm -hmm. Here, let me ask one more question, then we'll wrap okay. it up. Yeah. I don't want to overwhelm any of us oh, yeah. with these okay. questions, and you can ask me questions back. Okay. Wait, 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 wait! Don't, don't pivot away from this one, Anthony. You just got them to to acknowledge that the lifestyle that they were living before wasn't making them happy. And then they started living these other standards that made them happy. But if they found out that the Book of Mormon wasn't true, would they go back to living the way they were before? And they said no. So it's not contingent on the book being true or not. So what is that contingent on? Why? And if, and if, it, and if the Book of Mormon being true is irrelevant to them choosing to live the lifestyle that they're living— then what does that say and what does that mean? You never put them into that stew where they had to simmer and think about it, Anthony. <laughs> the pot was boiling. It's boiling over. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're going to it, but I don't think so. It sounds like you're pivoting to something else. Do you, do you think that you would go back to your previous lives where it wasn't quite as meaningful and purposeful and happy if you discovered that you have no good reason for thinking that this book is true? No. Not after, no. Not after I felt the piece and I found direction from reading the book and just became mm. a doctor. Okay. I, was, I wasn't very happy before. Yeah. I started living what we call gospel principles, gospel doctrine. Mm -hmm. Here, let me ask one more question, then we'll wrap okay. it up. Yeah. I don't want to overwhelm any of us oh, yeah. with these questions, and you can ask me questions back. Okay. Um, it, it kind of has to go back to what we've been talking about. Okay. Where I'm wondering, I'm honestly curious. If you think your lives would get worse in any way, if you decided that I don't have a good reason for thinking that this is true, could you even continue your lives enjoying the benefits of the belief without the ability to test it and to confirm it? Is that good enough for you? Or do you wanna hold views that are testable and repeatable and confirmable by anyone that goes and embarks on those tests? I would say it is for us in the sense that we walk by faith where we test these things every single day. The second we wake up, we say a prayer. Is it one of the tests that will never yield a result to show that you're wrong about it all? I would say yes in the sense that when I don't pray, I don't feel peace and direction in my day. But when I do pray, when I do read the scriptures, mm -hmm. I feel that guidance in my life. 
And that, that mm. for me, is the failure of the test or the okay. positive outcome of the test of training. Can you repeat that one more time? You, the way that you can actually, the way that you go about on a daily basis testing Correct. your faith, yes. the Mormon faith, the LDS Church's teachings. Even just the faith in God, anybody. Sure. Yeah. The reason where you can say that you're 100% sure yeah. that your God is real and this yeah. book has the truth, mm -hmm. your testing process is praying. Yeah. And what's the failure component to that? What What is the outcome of your prayer that says, I can't think that this God is real if this happens. I would just say a personal spiritual witness. I know that sounds kind of crazy because obviously- What's the failure component to it? What is what is the equivalent of looking into the, into the bag to see if you brought me back a six inch sub or a foot long? I really don't think I'm understanding the question. No? So- <clears throat> um, I could try it a different way. No, that's okay. I, I understand what you're saying. The simple fact is there is none. Um, you talk, you, you keep talking about like, you know, if, why would somebody partake in a test if there's no failure component? Why would somebody want to participate in a test where they could fail? If there is no way you can fail in this test, wouldn't that mean it was true? It would mean that it isn't a test. So why are you calling it a test? All right, I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you another one here, Anthony. I want you to take notes. On this one, because there's there's going to be <laughs> when you're in Salt Lake, you can use this. We're talking about tests. So the Book of Mormon has this story of these people called the Jaredites, and the Jaredites, like this, is amazing. They traveled from the old world to the new world by submarine, like right after the Tower of Babel, because the 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 you know God scrambled everybody's language with the Tower of Babel because he was so scared that they were going to like be able to cooperate and get up to heaven and like be able to see what he actually looks like or something. He's like, "Oh no, I don't want them to get up here." So he scrambled their languages so that they couldn't cooperate and couldn't finish the tower. Um but like Jared um cuz people were named Jared back then. Uh, it was before Subway and pedophilia maybe, but or child pornography, whatever, Jared from Subway. I'm sorry. Why did I go there? Strike that. So Jared didn't want his language scrambled, and he was in pretty good with God because he had seen his finger once. And Jared said, God, don't change your language. God's like, okay, I'll let you keep your language, but I'm going to send you someplace else. I'm going to send you from the old world to the new world. It's a promised land, man. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's awesome. You'll love it. He's like, well, how are we going to get there? He's like, I'll show you how to build a ship and it'll be tight like unto a dish and there won't be any light in it so he had to like touch some rocks so that the rocks would glow and have light while they're inside but here's where the test part comes in it says i want you to cut a hole on the top of the submarine and on the bottom of the submarine because they wanted to know how how will we know if we're underwater or not it's like well you can test it you can pull out the, the plug, and if water comes in, then you'll know that you're underwater. But if no water comes in, then you'll know that you're not underwater. Is that a good test? Is that a good test? So what if the Jaredites had had this hole, you know, or these both holes? I still don't quite understand how it worked because they would know what's like above or below because of gravity, right? Anyway, but if they pull... And water comes in always. It always comes in. Is that really a good test? 
especially if there's like a little compartment on the submarine that holds water. So maybe they weren't submerged, but it was like residual water that was stuck in this little crevice or something. So they pull the plug and like there's water that comes through and they're, they're really uh, on the surface, but the water's coming through, you know. So anyway, but but the point is when they pull the hole, it's the same result all the time. Is that really a good enough test for the Jaredites? So if, if the Lord was smart enough back then to be able to help them design a submarine, and they put bees in it, by the way. Um, they, they were able to bring bees from the old world via submarine. It's pretty awesome. Um, and that, that they, if the Lord was, was smart enough to devise that test for them back then that way, why not do it in a similar way for the Book of Mormon, where there'd be a way to see if it's not true or not? I mean... Of course, the Book of Mormon's true. Of course, it is true. I mean, it's silly to think that it might not be. Because, I mean, how else would bees have gotten to the New World except via submarine from the time of the Tower of Babel? It all, it all makes sense, Anthony. I'm, I'm, eventually, you'll see it one of these days. You'll see. You'll see how much sense this story makes. If there is no way you can fail in this test, wouldn't that mean it was true? Not necessarily. So, so, well, let's say that you buy the sandwich example. Maybe is a little not working quite as good as I was thinking. But if you brought me back something, a box, and there was something in it that you are telling me that it's a, that, that that sandwich, that six-inch sandwich that you bought me, yeah. but I don't have the ability to inspect the results and to actually see what it was you brought back, I could be thinking that there's a six-inch sub in there when in reality there's not. Maybe you actually got a pizza, and you just wanted to see my reaction when I open up the box and the pizza's in there. If I don't have a way to inspect the contents, if I don't have a way to test the claim, to compare it to something that would be a failure of the, of the proposition, why would I accept it? Okay, well, I would say that using your sandwich analogy, that it's, you know, that we brought you back uh, a section sub, or we brought you back a pizza. Well, in the, the promise in this book is not something that we're giving you. It's something that God is giving you. And so- the, You think that this is the case because the book says it. And what I wanna get into is how yeah. we're confirming that this is really the case. Like we said, it's it's a spiritual promise. We, we can't like mm. sit you down and say, you know, look, that tree mm. over there is evidence that this promise is real. Um, Can spiritual promises be made up? Sure they can. Anybody can make one up. I can make one up. We could, we could literally make up a spiritual promise, write it down in a book? Of course. Yeah. Scriptures tell us to test everything. Yeah, the, the sandwich, or, or like the mystery box, the mystery lunch box. Is it a sandwich or is it a pizza? Um, what, what if it was... Uh, you're telling me that this sandwich, I'm trusting you, I'm going to eat this sandwich, and I'm going to trust you that it's not poisoned. Um, but what if it is poisoned? How can I test it ahead of time to know that it's not poisoned? You're telling me that I just need to eat it and see? And they'd be like, well, no, but it's God, so he'll never poison people. But, <laughs> you know, like, how do how do you know? How do I know that I'm going to get the uh, nutrition that this says and if if you do eat it 
and you don't get poisoned, uh, what does that prove? Because there's a lot of people who read the Book of Mormon and get that confirmation and live like perfectly happy lives and they're very generous and kind and loving to people around them and, and life of service, like, like these missionaries started off saying that they are. So what does that mean? Like, again, we're saying it doesn't prove that the book is true or not. But so then what does it matter if the book is true or not? I was still in, in that place. Um, so anyway, I'm hungry now. All right, that was good. Sorry, I wish we had better answers for you. No, that's fine. There's like I saw, like I was saying, I think there's still value in this, and I, I'm 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 a little disappointed in myself for not being able to convey a little bit better how I view the importance of testing. That it, it's, you're almost asking me to basically just accept that there's a six-inch sub in the box, and my test is well, you just told me that there's one in there, or it was written in the book that that's the case. And you're not giving me a way to open up the package and inspect it. I think. I think that's what I'm getting here. Do you... Okay. Let me try just one last time. One last time. Mm -hmm. Do you care to know if God is real? Yes. If God is real, would you want to know that he's real? Yes. Okay. So, the invitation we give to people is that we believe that if you read the book, and you pray about it, mm -hmm. just to ask God if he is real. You pray on a daily basis. Yes. And you're getting results that are confirming to you that it's true. Correct. And you even did this in the past, before you went on your mission trips here. Correct. You embarked on testing it to see, and you were getting results back. Correct. Yet what I'm hearing is that these are results that were confirming it for you. Correct. What would a result look like that would disconfirm it for you to say, oh, this book is mistaken. That's what I'm trying to get to here. I would That's say the beauty. there isn't one. You yeah. can't. It, 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 there's. It, it can't fail. The test can't fail. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it can. And once it does, guys, you just can't unfail it. You can't squeeze that failure back into the toothpaste tube and use it as paste to fix the shelf that's been broken. Eh? <laughs> If you do what it says, it can't fail. No. Or, or if the church keeps moving the goalposts, it can't fail. Because if you just go by what Joseph Smith said about who the Lamanites were, being the Native American people, and that they were the descendants of Israelites because they came over in 600 BC by boat. This is different from the submarine guys, by the way. From 600 BC... This group came over. They are Israelites. You can do DNA testing. In fact, it's been done. And the DNA testing has shown that there is no Israelite DNA. And so then the church has to like move the goalposts and go, well, it actually wasn't those group of people. It was a different group of people. And we, yeah, you know what? We don't really actually know geographically where the Book of Mormon was said. No, no, no. And, and, it, and like the, the light of evidence that we have to actually be able to test the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon? Were there really groups of people? What, what, is there any trace of language, any trace of culture? Um, man, there's there. it's not hard. It's not hard to test those things. It's hard to be willing to accept that the answer might come back other than what you want it to be. That's the hard part. That's really, really hard to do. 
So for everybody who's listening here that did that, congratulations, you did something hard. It's still hard, huh? It still kind of sucks, huh? It still kind of influences the way that you are around people that you care about and that you love. And it makes it harder when you see things that they don't see. But, hey, at least it's true. Yeah, there's always that. Like other you said, it's it's contingent on you actually doing what it says. So you, we can't just give you a Book of Mormon and then you hold it in your hands and kneel down and say, is this book true? In the Book of Mormon, uh, there's another section of scripture that talks about experimenting upon the word. So you have to... Was this the verse you were mentioning before or no? So you have, to, verse. You hmm. have to read through the whole book mm -hmm. with that mindset that, okay, I hope this is true, and then get down on your knees and ask about it. So we could we could give you this book and you could say, all right, I'm going to okay. do the test right now. Yeah. That's not how it works. This goes back to what I think you were saying before. People will have success. Well, people will be more likely to conclude that this is true if they start with the hope that it is. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Do you see any problem in that whatsoever? Your head just jerked to the left when yeah, I said that. I know. I know. Because we're, we're back at the beginning. <laughs> He's trying to wreck it. Sometimes we take two steps forward and back. I know, it's, I know. it's that football metaphor again. Uh -huh. I would say yeah, if you're not if you're if you're going into it saying this book is wrong, there's nothing I want to learn from this, I'm just gonna show that it's not true. Wouldn't an adequate test yes, yes. resolve this? Okay. So. Even if I started it with the perspective or the attitude of I'm very skeptical about this. Okay. A, a sufficient test should convince me nonetheless. Okay. No, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so here's my answer for you. I do not think it is wrong to read from the Book of Mormon and to pray, and during the prayer, say, God, I don't know if I believe that you're real. You, you don't you think that that's an appropriate thing to do? I don't think that's wrong to do at all. Oh, okay. I think, I think you can Midway through a prayer, you'd be fine if someone said, hold on a second. Who am I praying to? Is there anyone listening? How could I actually determine that this is the case? Of course. My of course. book says that it's true. Yeah. But how can I know that it really is? Yes. Beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely no. not. I think that is an mm -hmm. awesome thing to do, mm -hmm. especially in your case. So in your case, you can be praying <laughs> and you can say, God, I don't know if you're real. I, I really don't know if I believe that you're real. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that you are if you are real. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, you could ask for a, a witness. And we believe that by that, that, is a, that would be an act of faith, that you're praying and asking for just something. A witness meaning an experience? An experience. Of okay. Or a feeling in your chest or something. Let me repeat back what I'm hearing. Okay. Yes. If I approach the book from a point of, well, this, I still have an issue with that. Like, I think something should be testable regardless of my attitude towards it. Okay. But let's say that I decide to have an open heart and I'm honestly willing to entertain it and I have the hope that it's factually true. And I ask for a witness. I pray sincerely, genuinely. I get down on my knees, you know, I look at the sky, and I'm sincere in it. Could I have an experience later that would make me think that it just confirmed everything that I asked for, but it not be the case? No, I don't it's, think so. It's impossible. I think we... The experience, hold on, the experience, this is what I think I'm hearing. Okay. If I did all that and I had an experience the next day and I'm like, that must have been, that's it. That's, that's, that's the answer from, from God. Okay. That's confirming that this book is real, re independent of my attitude or whatever towards, towards what it was. There's no way that I could be mistaken on it. Yeah. 
think so. Where's the testing part of that? The prayer. No, no, no. What? How would I be able to figure out? How would I be? That's okay. How would I be able to figure out that that wasn't a God listening to my prayers and making that witness happen? We can't prove it to you. I think that uh, you're speaking to to people who've only had the experience that it's true and we believe that there's no other way and everybody we know knows that there's no other way and so we know that for ourselves and so we can't give you an answer where we say hey like mm. this is the other side of the test because mm. we took the test we believe that that's how it is and so yeah. maybe it is slightly biased in that sense but we can only give you an answer from us and from everybody else that we know that's I think had you, that I think you raise I think you raise a great point you are the only one that can do this test yeah you are the and I, I'd be the only one that can do this test um, you th you you're telling me that you're performing these tests and then things are happening that are confirming to you that it's the case. Over and over and over, yeah. Is there any way that you could be mistaken about that? And that what you think is happening isn't an actual confirmation that the book is true? I don't believe so. No. Okay. All right. Good shot. That's awesome. Can I just say real quick too, like, you know, you said that you're atheist, correct? I really respect that. I have a very large respect for people that are atheists because the way I view it is, to me, it takes a lot more faith to be atheist, if that makes sense. That the idea mm. that all of this just came from nothing, that it was just a huge <laughs> chance, that everything happened just so, so that we could be here, and everything just happened to work out so that we came here how we did. Mm. In my opinion, and I know that it is slightly biased, that takes a lot more faith, and I, I really respect that and your beliefs and <laughs> that's interesting and things like that well i'll tell you maybe when if you're going to be here for a while and we we cross paths again and you have a little time in your schedule okay. can we pick it up with faith because i think that's where we left our first yeah. conversation of course and then this would be a good starting point let's yeah. let's talk about your definition of that word it might be different than yours okay. it may be different than mine yeah. and then let's look at the application of the word Beautiful. and let's see if i'm actually taking things on faith and if you are taking things on faith Love and that. uh yeah, I think that'd be really productive. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's the next topic. I think that'd be wonderful. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, I, I want to do this too, Anthony. Faith. <laughs> and neener, neener, as an atheist, it takes just as much faith. I Don't you love, I know you love that. I know you love that uh, that claim. I, I, I saw people on your YouTube channel comment about it. So uh, let's, let's pick that up when we talk. Thursday night, January 9th, 7 p.m. Arizona time. 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Details will be on Patreon forward slash infants. That's our Infants on Thrones Patreon page if you want to join and talk directly to Anthony. And thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Hi, this is Brian from Novi, Michigan, and I am yet another returned missionary from Japan who has left the church. Konnichiwa, Guren Senpai! You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the form a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. Anyone for the closing prayer? Cause I gotta have Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.